welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So great to be with you again this week uh, as we have just begun the uh, month of June, which is the month, of course, we know of the Sacred Heart. Uh, but I um, stumbled on, and frankly, in conversation with Francis at our recent retreat, I stumbled onto an idea, um, Francis, that we haven't spoken about silence. I think it was over a year ago that we did that last program on silence, although that took a different perspective. And I've, of course, revealed the theme for our conversation today. But we're going to talk about silence, but I'm going to absolve you of that for the moment, Francis. Let you <laughs> Let at least speak. say hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. God bless you. <laughs> well, actually, I'm the one that should be silent today. I'm struggling with a little bit of a cold here. Uh, ironically, in this late uh, part of the year, June, we should be and we are having, in fact, beautiful weather. But uh, nonetheless, I will struggle through. And where I fail, I'll let you uh, sort of take the helm there, Francis. <laughs> we'll practice silence, right? <laughs> yes. We, you know, my wife suggested that. She said, well, this is going to be the easiest program you've ever done. Just get on, say hello, and then be silent for an hour. <laughs> Some of our listeners might really enjoy that. <laughs> well, well, we're glad they're turning in, and hopefully they'll hear something that will help them. <laughs> Yes. Well, so we want to emphasize the importance of silence. And I said we had covered this topic some time ago, but we're going to discuss it uh, today in the context of our prayer life, most especially our contemplative experience of prayer. And we want to talk about where it sort of fits in in the context of that. And it really does stem from the suggestion, Francis, that you made following a retreat that we recently had where you had the opportunity to give the presentation uh, in formation. Uh, we're covering Blessed, uh, well now, Saint Mary of Jesus Crucified. And she had some remarkable uh, sort of, I called them poetic expressions with regard to the def- uh, definition of silence, which she um, uh, contends she received from Jesus himself, and we accept that. So um, I, I think it'll be an interesting conversation. But before we begin that, let's enter ourselves into prayer. And Francis, would you lead us, please? Yes, let us get recollected, try to get quiet, silent within, which is not empty, but is full of attention to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. O Blessed Mother, Queen and Beauty of Mount Carmel, you whose soul is filled with God, whose soul is a garden of virtues, and an oasis of peace and silence, completely enveloped in the shadow of God, obtain for us this peace and silence, especially interior silence, which alone makes continual contact with God possible. Help us to be like you and be a solitary, silent garden where God will find his delights. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin our conversation, if I can, Francis, with this phrase, which is my phrase, but nonetheless, I think it is very true, and I could find considerable supporting evidence uh, within the writings of our great saints. And uh, very simply, I would say, we cannot have vocal prayer without the spoken word. That seems fairly obvious, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, our examples. At the same time, though, we cannot have contemplative prayer without silence. We have to, at some point, enter into um, a, a mode of receptivity where we are deeply listening. Somebody asked me one time, 
uh, with regard to this state of prayer? You know, is it is it sort of the do-nothing state? Am I just sitting there like a lump and and I'm not really actively participating? I would argue just the, the opposite is true. In this deepest encounter of the living God in contemplative prayer, um, usually coupled with silence, we are very active. It is our spirit that has been awakened and is ready to receive whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has to communicate. And I would argue that we are at that point perhaps more tuned in, more attuned uh, to the greater realities of our existence than at any other time when we sort of muddle our way through the various circumstances of our, our daily activities. Yeah, and I know many people think of silence as being empty, but it's not. It's potent. It's it's full of love. It's full of attentiveness. And as you said, um, to receive this gift of contemplative prayer, one must be in a more receptive mode, a more passive mode, and let God do the work. But we have to be silent so that the work may be done. <laughs> and we sometimes think of silence <clears throat> as nothing more than the absence of noise. And of course, we want to dispense with that lack of understanding about the depth of silence. And in, in fairness, Francis, I think we would agree, even as we begin the conversation, neither you or I are going to be able to adequately communicate in the spoken word what is meant by or certainly not what is experienced within those deepest um, encounters of silence. It is something that is beyond human expression. And we are going to use some of the language uh, that um, St. Mary of Jesus crucified attributed that she received, uh, attributed to Jesus that she apparently received from him. And they do begin to get at this um, sort of um, expression. It's where poetry comes to our aid uh, of this encounter. And we'll, we'll share those with you. Uh, but before we do that, there's another line that comes from her writings. And if it's okay, Francis, I'm going to call on you uh, to talk about this idea of respecting the silence of the cloister. Um, and the Lord said from top to bottom, read that quote for us again. And then if you could just reflect on that for a moment. Respect the silence of the cloister from top to bottom. And that was an instruction given to uh, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified. Um, she had uh, infringed that rule of silence in the cloister, so she she was being reprimanded for that. But on a more in, intensive sense, and I liked how you pointed this out, Mark, that this might be Christ uh, making reference to not just the areas of Carmel, like um, the chapel, the main floor, the individual cells, but, but equally plausible that maybe he was referring referring to um, the individual souls and hence the requirement for each of us to gain an appreciation for the role of silence in our entire person. We've often talked about the cell within us, this interior cell where we want to practice that silence. And I might add here, we don't want to force the silence because you don't want to be new at, at, at trying this and then walk in there and say, okay, I'm going to do 30 minutes of silent prayer and you force yourself to do it. And it's a very negative, stressful situation. Um, and you were saying earlier, um, before the program, we began uh, about the other end of, of approaching uh, silence. Yeah, it's a careful balance. We don't want to, as Francis said, force the silence. I'm going to go in there and like a robot, I'm going to sit in utter silence. I'm just not going to uh, speak. I'm not going to, you know, encounter 
any writings. I'm not going to use language of any kind, and that'll be silence. <clears throat> we cannot force that. We are drawn into that. It takes time, and it does take hours upon hours of meditation, in all fairness, unless the Lord really wants to draw us in quickly for some purpose. Um, it, it really requires some discipline, some obedience, and patience to be drawn into silence. Conversely, though, to Francis's point, um, we don't want to resist that call. In other words, we uh, can also fall victim to the idea that, oh, I've got to be doing something in prayer. St. John talks about this. St. John of the Cross talks about this extensively. We don't need to feel as though we constantly need to be doing something. Oh, I must be reading. I must be uh, meditating. I must have images. I must be using language. Uh, otherwise, I'm not really praying. And And the caution here is, when we are beginning to experience those aspects of prayer that St. John of the Cross writes about very deliberately that draw us into silence, don't resist it. And don't fear that if you do sit in silence for 30 minutes in the chapel before the Eucharist or uh, before an image of our Lord, what have you, uh, that somehow you've wasted your time. Uh, the Lord would never allow us to waste a moment of prayer. And this is a distinction here between our active prayer and our passive prayer. The active is the reflecting, uh, the, the vocal prayers, the meditation, the mental working. Um, that is what we can do. But the Lord does draw us um, into deeper grades of prayer. Um, and so uh, we should not feel that um, if we didn't finish a reflection, but we're drawn into the silence, that we should go back to finish the reflection uh, to check it off our list so that we prayed well. No, we, the the point is to come into that intimate relationship with God. And if he draws us into silence, to be there with him, because that's where he's calling you. Now, it may not be very long. It could be just a minute or two. Um or it could be extensive, whatever it is. And then, you know, one of the friars put this so beautifully. He said, pray as you can, not as you can't. <laughs> but we we do need to know and have an understanding that there are, are depths of prayer and there are different kinds of prayer. And we don't pray as an adult the same way we prayed as a child. And, you know, depending on our circumstances, whether we're suffering or whether we're stressed, our prayers could have changed, too. So pray as you can, not as you can't. Yeah. And again, I want to reiterate at the outset here that... <clears throat> Uh, what Christ means when he speaks about silence is not something we can really put into words, despite our effort here, uh, Francis, in our conversation, we're going to try. Um, but this is even true for the great saints, whether they were Carmelites or Carthusians or Cistercians, uh, all the great orders who have a great devotion to silence, who, like Carmel, have profound appreciation for it, are still lacking when it comes to trying to express what they mean. And even less so, I think, when we're trying to objectively define it. It might seem a bit ironic uh, that no one can sufficiently understand or communicate in human language this importance that we attribute to silence, let alone describe what it means when we hear this phrase, as we just did from Francis, from top to bottom in the cloister. Jesus was talking to uh, St. Mary of Jesus crucified, and he said, respect silence from top to bottom. Now, Mark, I brought a story that I thought would uh, kind of portray what this is like um, and it's a classic story. I've, I've seen it many times. I just want to share it. There were three brothers. One ancient story tells us. One of them decided that his mission would be to bring people to reconciliation. 
The second brother decided he would visit the sick, while the third went to the desert to live in silence. The first, finding himself constantly between conflicting sides, did not succeed in bringing about peace, and therefore was himself uh, found himself in distress. He came to the second brother and found him also in deep despondency. Together they went to the third brother and asked him whether he had achieved anything in his desert. Instead of an answer, the hermit poured some water into a chalice and invited his brothers to look at it. The water was so turbid that nothing could be seen in it. After a short time, the hermit invited his guests to look again. The water settled and became transparent enough for them to see their faces reflected on its surface. The hermit then said, Someone who lives among the passions and cares of the world will always be perturbed by thoughts, while a hermit contemplates God in stillness. So if you can just think of that water and and the the muck settling at the bottom and the clarity becoming more so, uh, it's just kind of a challenge to us. We, we're living in the world, especially as uh, secular discalced Carmelites. Mark and I are both uh, of that third order. But, you know, we want to live in the world, uh, but we don't want to be of the world, you know, because heaven is our home. That's where we're aiming. Um, but I thought this story would just help us to let the dust settle, let, let the mud get to the bottom, and let's get to that stillness um, where God's ripple effect can be seen. Well, we do want to um, talk about this in the context of prayer. And Francis has introduced that with this, this uh, story that ultimately we're not talking about silence for silence's sake or just for uh, our own benefit. Although I might argue, um, as many philosophers have, that <clears throat> what our world desperately needs right now is silence. So much of the anger and animosity uh, that is being expressed both in political spheres and in other uh, venues, we see it in um, uh, you know the, all the chatter and so forth on web pages and the internet and, and, and what have you. Um, we'd all be better served by having a, a considerably a greater degree of silence in our society. Yeah, because silence helps de-stress the soul. I mean, just the physical sense of silence does that. We're not even talking about the prayer sense of it. But, you know, when you're thinking of it in terms of prayer, it's like like a holy stop, a sabbatical rest, a, a truce of worries. I like this is I didn't make this up. I read this somewhere. And I thought, oh, I'm going to remember to bring that up because that was pretty good. A sabbatical rest, a truce of worries. I like that. Well, I know we've said this before, but uh, the famous uh, philosopher Kierkegaard is noted for many things. But one of the phrases is, if I could make one, uh, you know, recommendation or have one prescription for society, it would be to embrace silence. You know, words to that effect, but. Uh, and certainly he was a man who had reflected on the, the experience of uh, the importance of silence. We want to do so again in the context of prayer. How does silence contribute to um, accelerate, if you will, our prayer life? And I said <clears throat> we're going to talk about poetic expressions that may lead us into that. But at the same time, we do want to work a little bit with the objective descriptions of it, uh, sort of an intellectual uh, series of definitions. But let's put all this in, in um, uh, the context of Scripture. We are Carmelites, after all, and so we rely heavily on Scripture. We know that in our prayer, it is the Holy Spirit who comes to our aid and does our work. This is why we should not feel as though we're wasting our time when we may spend time in silence, in prayer, uh, because, in fact, the Holy Spirit comes to our aid. 
And Francis, would you mind reading um, this verse that sort of uh, emphasizes this for us? And this is from Romans eight twenty six, <clears throat> And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This verse from Romans is really the entire scriptural argument for why we must learn to practice silence. You know, it's true, we, we really don't know how to pray in the most effective way, but it's also true that, you know, God makes up for our deficiencies. In this case, of course, as you said, Mark, by sending us the Holy Spirit to actually pray in us. We are spiritual bearing, beings, and we must allow our spiritual nature to um, assume control if we wish to encounter the Spirit of the living God. Well, so let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, well, well, first, let me introduce a, a, um, a series of uh, objective um, uh, descriptions, if you will, of science. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, Francis, in our agenda, if that's okay, because uh, I want to get to the object before we go back to the poetic expressions. It is important to wrestle intellectually <clears throat> with what we mean by science. And Francis and I actually, as I said, we did a program uh, some time ago where we did cover the uh, various uh, degrees of silence. Um, there are 12, arguably, Francis, I guess we could define more uh, than that, but we, we identified 12. These come from um, the 12 degrees of silence. It is a list that is uh, really representative of the, uh, of the teachings uh, of the Desert Fathers and um, the, the importance of it for us as Carmelites is that it is good to be grounded intellectually. In other words, we just throw out this idea, well, you know, Mark said at the beginning of the program, I cannot pray in a contemplative way without silence. What is meant by that? It's important that we understand there are degrees of silence. I said it is not simply the absence of noise. It is much deeper than that. So let us go through each of these, and we'll just give some uh, sort of high-level a synopsis of what is meant by each of these 12 degrees of silence. I just want to say where we found these. <laughs> this is from Marie Amy of Jesus. She's a Carmelite nun. And actually, there is a book out there called The 12 Degrees of Silence, and it's edited by Lucinda M. Varde with guided reflections on each of these degrees. It's a, it's, um, a, a nice book to have. We don't have it before us. Uh, we'd like to have that before <laughs> us. <laughs> I think you have to get it from the UK, but um, at any rate, uh, Sister Marie Amy of Jesus, Carmelite nun, is attributed um, to writing these 12 uh, degrees down for us. Yeah, and there's something else in the um, document that we're using as we sort of elaborate these 12 degrees. <clears throat> this is what's called the asceticism of silence, and, and it emphasizes to be silent is not something easy. There are obstacles, we know this, outside that interior cell that Francis referenced earlier. Not only are there obstacles, but there's an enemy who wants to draw us out of silence. That's why it's good to have the intellectual grounding as well as the poetic expressions that we'll talk about in, in the second half of the program. Um, but here we have from the hands of a Carmelite, from the pen of a Carmelite, uh, a, a very good identification of each of these 12 degrees. And so we just want to go through each of these uh, briefly and give you some flavor for what is meant by them. First, of course, seems natural and obvious, and that's silence of the word. Uh, the persons who really say something are not very numerous. Uh, those who listen are even uh, more scarce. 
all words are in vain uh, when they are not ripened within ourselves with love's consent. That's by Maurice Zundel. And we don't mean <coughs> silence of the word as in Jesus the word. We're, right. we're talking about the, the, the spoken, word spoken that, words that like you're hearing us <coughs> yeah. speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. But we may babble, right? <laughs> the people that just sort of go on and on. Well, in our era of communication, we are asking ourselves if we are saturated with words. Of course we are. Uh, in order that those words might be meaningful and have some interior depth, uh, we have to listen very intently. We have to listen with silence. So silence of the word begins with not only sort of um, weeding through the the overwhelming amount of noise that is in our environment, but it is taking the time to listen to what is said. I, I challenge you to do this the next time you go to Mass, and I find myself having to work through this challenge myself. Pick one of the readings, either the first reading, perhaps the Psalms or the Gospel, and say to yourself, I'm going to intently and intensely listen to what is about to be said to me. I think so often, especially if we're daily communicants, Francis, we can fall victim to, yep, I heard the, the, the Gospel there. Yep, I could probably tell you what it was and where you know Jesus spoke and what he said. But are we really listening? Are we really taking the time to listen? And I will tell you, the best advice I can give you on this is read the gospel the night before you go to Mass. Read the gospel for the next day, the night before you go to Mass, and be prepared to receive, not just listen, but be prepared to receive and take it with silence. Don't, as we so often do, have our mind fluttering around a bunch of different thoughts, or worse yet, uh, just appear to be droning through the recitation of the gospel. Intent listening requires silence. And that intent listening will give us some guidance on where the Holy Spirit is leading us because usually there's something in the gospel or one of the readings that just kind of tugs on our heart or our mind a little bit more. And that is one of the ways that the Lord is teaching us, informing us into better disciples. Um, So when we're silent in our words, it helps us to be more open to the word, which is Jesus, of course. Well, that leads to the next degree of silence, which is the silence of action. Um, To pause in order to better understand the meaning of our actions, to avoid being submerged and distracted by an abundance of things to do. Yeah, hear that, moms? (laughs) I can relate to that. To discern our motivations hidden in our activities, know why we're doing something, and to know how to choose what is essential. I actually, as we were preparing for this program, I'm thinking about things that I've done in the years past, and um, I'm like, well, why did I do that? Why did I choose to do that? You know, time is precious, and we need to order it um, for um, the best way possible. So the danger is always there to let ourselves be just carried away um, and really neglect love. So we can relate to this phrase, frenzy of the present moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that frenzy can hide from us what is really profound and what is really important, what is the meaning of life. And there is a lot of meaningless activity a plethora. <laughs> mm, think if we were challenged that everything we do should be done. You know, St. Paul says to us, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I should do it for the Lord. Is that true of all the things that we do throughout the course of the day? And I love that phrase, the frenzy of the present moment. Of course, it counters 
uh, that great book by Desaad, The Sacrament of the yes. Present Moment, right? Right, right. Um, and for a monk, um, our, our reflection says, the silence of action is also an awareness of one's action. It is living in that present moment, living for the Lord, living to achieve inner calm. Okay. All right. That goes on to the next one. We, I, I think we've got time to put one more in before our little break. Well, the next one's interesting because we are often told that we should uh, make use of the imagination for meditative prayer. Those who have the capacity, for example, to uh, draw up images for themselves, perhaps have a creative bent and are able to do this, create pictures and um, uh, you know, sort of enter into the gospel reading. Uh, but at the same time, we at some point have to learn to diminish the role of the imagination. In fact, St. John of the Cross tells us that the imagination is one of the most dangerous um, um, sort of uh, inhibitors to moving into these higher degrees of science. He says it's linked to the memory. The memory has the capacity to draw up so many um, images, feelings, emotions, either beneficial or hurtful. Uh, and we have to sort of tamp that down. Uh, make use of or imagine dreaming about things, uh, foundations suggested uh, on the basis of our memory. We have to be aware of what impact this is having on our efforts to achieve silence. To create the silence of the imagination is to take root in the reality of our lives. Yes, making aspirations to move us forth, but they must be founded on reality, on deep meaning of human values. A little bit what we said earlier, good prayer is built on a foundation of vocal prayer, extensive hours in meditation, reflection on the Gospels, reflection on what Christ is trying to impart to us. We would not want to try to achieve that with the use of silence. But once that foundation has been laid for hours and hours of meditation, time before our Lord, then we've got to uh, minimize the use of the imagination and begin to grasp the deeper meaning of human values. I, I think we're in jeopardy of really having a problem in this area because the virtual reality world is becoming more and more predominant, especially yeah, in our young absolutely. people's lives. And so they're going to lose touch with the reality, with real people, with real relationships. So parents, grandparents, uh, loved ones out there, please, uh, we do need to take notice of this and, and work towards this uh, silence of the imagination so that we may grasp what is real and true and important. Yeah, you're right. A great danger for our modern society with the advances of technology. And I question at times whether there are advances. Well, we're going to take a brief uh, pause here and um, uh, let our stations identify themselves, play some music. And we'll be back. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The dead of your sin be wise. 
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. We're having a conversation, ironically, Francis, about (laughs) silence. Uh, And as I said at the beginning of the program, perhaps it would be better if I remained silent with the struggle I'm having with my voice. But um, we are talking now about the objective, uh, intellectual, if you will, definitions of silence, which have been gifted to us by the Desert Fathers, some of the great saints, and compiled um, as Francis pointed out earlier as we began this article, by Sister Marie Amy of Jesus, a Carmelite from Paris. We'll do some research and make sure that we have a good reference uh, for the article that we're drawing this from. We'll put it on our website. Uh, but we're ready, I think, to talk about the next um, degree of silence, Francis. And I introduced it a little bit with the uh, reference to St. John of the Cross on imagination. But would you talk to us about the silence of memory. Well, I know you're better at this than I am, so I'll get it started, but you're probably going to have to finish this one. Um, The memory, that's an indispensable faculty for the continuity of existence. And without it, um, would we progress very far? Because we'd have to learn over and over again how to eat, how to get dressed, how to brush our teeth, etc. So thanks to our memory, we can do these daily activities in advance in our learning processes, which is very good. So um, as you had mentioned, Mark, memory is very much related to intelligence. Um, it conserves and recalls the meaning of our lives. I think it helps us when we ponder the events of our lives and try to find meaning in them. It keeps watch over the unity and continuity of our past, our present, our future. You know, we have a memory of who we are, too, and experiences that have shaped us that in, in, uh, form, um, how our responses may be in the future. So, um, this memory is a very important faculty. But it can also cause danger, as St. John of the Cross says, and I don't have the references here. I know we, identified some of these in the previous conversation that we had about um, silence, but John talks extensively about the dangers of memory, and it stems mostly from the emotions that they engender. And again, these can be positive or negative. That's not the point. In our prayer, we don't want to be captivated by these memories, by the imagination in its capacity to draw us out of the present moment. And so the memory may be long-term or it may be as recent as, uh, you know, the last five minutes before I entered prayer. But if it distracts me from prayer, um, and in, as I say, most, most dangerously, if it engenders some sort of an emotional reaction, it has the capacity to draw me out of the present moment and to draw me out of silence. And that's where the danger stems from. And of course, uh, we shouldn't forget that the enemy who uh, is always present when we're trying to pray because he never wants us to pray, will take advantage of those emotions, those feelings, those reactions that we may have associated with any um, uh, particular memory, um, and we will be, again, uh, distracted and drawn out of our prayer. In fact, uh, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity also capitalizes on this in her writings, talking about the danger of emotion and memory, and the the, uh, best response to it, of course, is silence. It is to silence those thoughts. It is to silence those images that sometimes creep into our prayer. Well, and then the memory also needs the imagination in order to remember. So those two go together. Um, To cause the memory to be silent allows us to remember our moments with God and then to conserve the graces we receive. So we must practice in leaving the history of God to take over our own. You know, I I, uh, heard a great reflection the other day that uh, had to do with the story of our lives 
are written. And if we are in uh, God's will, we know the end of the story. We know it's nothing but glory, peace, complete joy, uh, the satisfaction and fulfillment of all our desires. It's the chapters that get messed up. <laughs> How are we writing them? <laughs> we keep trying to rewrite the chapters when the novel's already been written. And don't get uh, distracted by the um, you know, sort of uh, intrigue and the twists and turns of the chapters. Uh, and even when the plot thickens at times, just know that the story's written and focus on that. And insert some moments of sacred silence, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> just like we do when we pray the office. Got to have those moments of sacred silence. Well, um, this next degree of silence has to do with creatures and how much uh, do we take uh, in conversing interiorly, either with others or with ourselves. So the, the silence of creatures literally has to do with our encounters with other human beings. Um, and... This is both the experience of conversation itself, uh, certainly not our conversation, Francis, because all <laughs> these are productive to our prayer life. Well, God willing. <laughs> <laughs> but it has more to do with, um, you know, what we take away in that encounter um, that we often rerun in our, in our heads as a film. And we like, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm guilty of this. And if my wife is listening, she'll go, yes, you are. Um, <laughs> know we, yourself. That's good. Yeah. We tend to take a difficult experience, a difficult encounter that we may have had with somebody. And we will replay that tape again and again and again. And it begins to carve a groove in our mind. Uh, we're then back to memory and back to imagination. Because when that groove has been carved, of course, uh, the imagination can take it in many different directions. But this is the encounter with people. It's as simple as that. What are we saying? That we should limit our encounters with people? The, the short answer is yes. To those um, encounters and those uh, conversations that are beneficial to our prayer life, that are beneficial to our spiritual life, and that are um, conducted with people who we are confident uh, are part of our spiritual journey, not the person who angers us, who frustrates us, who maybe we anger and frustrate. Um, it's perfectly appropriate, and I think the Lord would counsel us. Avoid those encounters. Certainly don't uh, labor in them for any length of time. Um, this is an important part of our, of our silence. Well, the next degree, the sixth degree, is the silence of the heart or of feelings. Well, of course, we think of the heart as the place where all of our emotions reside. And it's also the place where desire takes root. And I know St. John the Cross talks a lot about desire, where love flows like a source. The heart is filled with affections and tenderness, and it's the center of our being. So to silence our heart, what does that mean? That means to allow us to purify ourselves of unhealthy attachments. And John Cross talks a lot about that. Um, there are those things that make us prisoners and close us in on ourselves. The heart, we know, is very sensitive and deep. Um, if we don't keep an eye on it, we can be led blindly into traps that can injure us instead of helping us to mature. So one of the deepest desires of our heart is the one to be recognized for our human dignity. And boy, is that being um, messed with in this day and age. You know, you think of the dignity of the um, unborn, the dignity of the uh, aged or the mentally or physically handicapped. Ugh. When we have value in the eyes of others, then our existence finds meaning and fulfillment. And, of course, we need to be looking to God for that because in our day and age, there's a lot of people that are not giving you dignity. Right. You know, I just read an article about uh, a young girl 
Um, she was like a second place winner in the skating championships for wheelchair people. Um, and she was calling herself crippled, whereas others were, you know, uh, she was accusing Hollywood of saying, you know, uh, your life is not worth anything because you have no quality of life because you're stuck in a wheelchair. And she's like, who are you to tell me that? I do have quality of life. I am just crippled. I am disabled in this sense, but you know, I, I want to move on. I have things to accomplish, you know, and one, and, and I think of Mother Angelica before she died of EWTN fame. She said, don't underestimate the value of one thought of God. So she couldn't be moving with her body so much, but her mind was still praying. Her heart was in it. Yeah, very powerful. There's also a, a phrase in this uh, reflection that I like. The heart is extremely sensitive and deep, almost bottomless. Mm. And of course, Elizabeth of the Trinity talks about um, the bottomless abyss that she wanted to fall into because the only one who will fill up the bottomlessness of our heart is the Lord. Nothing right. else, uh, neither, n- neither feeling nor emotion nor desire uh, nor material uh, a gift, if you will, will ever fill up the desire of the human heart. And we should take great um, uh, uh, consolation in knowing that there is nothing in this world that will fill that desire. One, it says that there is a desire within us that, that reaches beyond our capacity to understand. But secondly, and more importantly, it will be fulfilled. It will be um, uh, responded to in, in, in uh, the capacity of it will, in fact, be uh, filled up by our Lord, uh, so, ultimately. So our dignity comes from the Lord. You know, we are made in his image and likeness. But so many people are blind to that. So we need to be that light on the um, on the hill, you know, that people can see, re- reflecting the glory of the Lord, reflecting his light and his love. But we are all made in his image and his likeness. So these feelings, these emotions, this uh, desire of the heart must be silenced so that it can be uh, uh, turned in the right direction, properly aligned, as you said, predisposing ourselves to an experience of silence and to an encounter of the living God in that silence. This next level uh, we're talking about now, the seventh level of silence, is the silence of humility and of self-love. This, uh, of course, we shouldn't have to spend a great deal of time on. We know um, that we have to silence uh, self-love. Everything we've talked about up to this point, really, in all fairness, with regard to these various degrees, if we look back, um, action, imagination, the memory, uh, all uh, creatures, encountering creatures, all have a capacity to engender um, the emotions wrapped up around self-love. It is the number one uh, sort of shortcoming of the human person. Um, We always, whether we accept it or not, whether we admit it or not, we always have a tendency to operate in what we think is our best interest. Sometimes that comes out in negative ways. Other times it may be perfectly appropriate people who, for example, take care of their fitness and their diet. Uh, But nonetheless, we are uh, fundamentally worried about ourselves. And the whole idea of agape love, the Greek term agape, has to do with a self-giving love, giving of ourselves to the other person. When our um, perspective on love is distorted by a lack of humility or a focus on self-love, it has to be dealt with with this silence. Again, we're talking about objective understanding of silence. We all understand what it means to um, love self inordinately at times. We've got to silence that. And it comes out in the form of... um, 
a desire for recognition of others. Uh, we want people to see our talents. We want admiration. We want consideration. We want praise. Those things, um, when we find ourselves desiring them, are manifestations of this self-love. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting wanting to be acknowledged for what we've done. But if it becomes a motivation for our behavior, we know that we've gone beyond. And this this trickles into our prayer life as well. And it, it changes our vision. Your your vision then gets focused on what you receive, receive from others or, you know, gimme, 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 instead of what you can give um, you're, and how you are gifted by the Lord and these gifts are to be shared with those around you. You know, the great remedy for self-love is humility. And I love this uh, phrase uh, in the reflection by St. Teresa uh, of the infant Jesus, who used to say, humility is being lovely aware <laughs> of our misery. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that draws down the Lord because he comes to those who, who are in need, <laughs> and we are in need of him. And the more we're aware of that, the more open we are to receiving his help because we know we are not self-sufficient. So it's a good thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that leads to the eighth degree of silence, um, the silence of the spirit or of intelligence. You know, many human beings um, are defined by their intelligence, uh, the geniuses, you know, their ability to think, to reflect, to reason. We all have those abilities to some degree or less. Um, the intelligence is defined by the ability to know and to understand. And this reminds me of Isaiah um, chapter, uh, 40, uh, verse 3. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or has instructed him as his counselor. You know, so God is be so far beyond our intelligence. His grandeur goes beyond our reasoning. So if you just want to get a, a hint of what that's like, go look at on those space channels on, on uh, YouTube and see what the galaxies look like out there. And, and, you know, they're formed. There's an intelligence to that. And the kind of developments that are happening in physics and in math. And, you know, it's, it's intelligent. Uh, it isn't just chaos put together and, you know, a strike of luck here. So, you know, there's a certain moment during our faith journey where the intelligence falls into profound silence because it recognizes it's reached the end of what it can know about God through ideas and concepts. And and oftentimes I'm thinking that's when you want to put the mental uh, meditative type of prayer aside and, and you just want to be present in love. During this prayer, during this period... Um, the intelligence accepts to receive a much deeper knowledge acquired through experiencing the love of God. And there is some knowledge that can only be infused by the Lord and, and through faith. Faith can reach a knowledge that we cannot get through our own reason. Yeah, and this reminds me, and unfortunately I don't have the reference, but the scripture verse that uh, for all intents and purposes says, don't seek for things beyond your capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Don't go... Um, um, looking for answers to the questions that are beyond your ability to, to to either perceive or even understand the answer if I gave it to you, if I could paraphrase what God might say to us. You know, I could answer that question for you, but you wouldn't understand the answer anyway. So <laughs> right. what are you bothering for? Faith. Faith is what has to take over in our intelligence. We know that it is faith that purifies our intellect. Well, that leads right into the next one, which is, of course, the silence of judgment. And this is judgment um, obviously, in the context of intelligence, as Francis was describing, um, it is an act of intelligence, but quite often we judge causes and persons in an unintelligent manner. 
uh, today in a journalistic fashion to ask everyone and every uh, person that we encounter their opinion on different topics. Um, are we really capable of answering these questions? You know, I get so tired, Francis, of the talking heads on radio and television and all the people who have to offer their opinion. You know, it reminds me of that phrase, everybody's entitled to my opinion, right? <laughs> uh, it just grows so tiresome to hear people go back and forth about the various topics that, you know, are important to us on any given day. And we, we whether charitably or uncharitably, um, continuously render judgment on the events of our daily uh, activities and, and what we see in our day. And this is what this is talking about. Stop judging. Scripture says, stop judging and you won't be judged. Or conversely, you will be judged by the measure that you judge. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'd like to stop the judging and not have to worry mm-hmm. about being measured by that degree because um, at this point, I don't think I'd be very comfortable with the criteria. Of course, now we know we're not talking about judging right and wrong, good right. action, bad action. You know, you steal something, you know, it's the motivation. Well, we can't judge the hearts, um, but we are responsible in in helping people uh, to make good judgments. You know, uh, when we see somebody's talking about doing something wrong, um, then we need to do step in and, and, and help. So the, the kind of judgment we're talking about here is the motivation of the heart, which only God knows. Right. And, and this, sometimes it's the circumstances of their life that we're not aware of. You know, we may see some outward thing. Um, and, and yet we are to love each other. You know, we may not love what people are doing, but we are to love each other in God's eyes. Yeah, and it's also this idea um, to silence our judgment is to accept that we are not able to grasp all truth of what is uh, asked and accepting God alone is is the only one who can make those judgments. Um, and, and it is true of our own lives, too. We do this. We look at the circumstances of our life. We look at events. We look at things that happen positively or negatively, and we make a determination. Oh, that's good for me. That's bad for me. This is exactly what we're talking about. Stop doing that. If we stop trying to write the chapters of the story and let the novel, accept that the novel's been written, we'll find ourselves less judgmental of the circumstances of our life or of other people's action. And, of course, we know God is the one that sees it all. He's got that omniscience about him that we don't have. Well, this leads into the 10th degree of silence, which is the silence of the will. If intelligence seeks truth, the will seeks what is good. So, you know, we're all searching for happiness. or We pursue it through our actions and what we choose to do or not to do. And the will, our 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 you know, what we're wanting, this, which is more, the will is more, it's like a motor. As long as it does not seek the supreme good, which is God, the will then can become a prisoner of temporal attractions. You know, those, the, the flashy, glittery things that Satan can put in your uh, eyesight to, to get you off track. You know, they, usually there's a temptation dangling out there that looks pretty cool or flashy and it gets people's attention and, and then bam, uh, bad stuff can happen. So, um, we really need to keep our eyes on God and, you know, focus on what is, is, uh, will lead us most to God so that we're not a prisoner of these kind of, um, attractions and distractions. The more our will desires the good that God wants for us, the more free we are. And this freedom, um, is gained through our successive detachments of what is not in, com- in conforming to God's will. 
Um, and that can be painful at times. But when we understand that God's will is motivated by his love for us, um, conforming ourselves to his will then becomes much easier. It's like the Ten Commandments. Um, God didn't put them there to say, you have to follow these rules or boom, you know, you're out. No, he put them there because these are the guidelines. If we live by, we're going to be blessed. (laughs) When we go against those Ten Commandments, then we're we're drawing the the evil upon ourselves. They are actually our source of freedom. People think they're restrictions. In reality, they are our freedom. Exactly. Well put. Well, the 11th uh, degree of silence, again, we'll readily recognize it's simply the silence with one's self, not desiring what the self wants. And of course, this again builds on this idea of detachment, forgetting ourselves, putting the other first. And and I think Father Gru, uh, from a book on spirituality, has perhaps the best uh, and succinct explanation of this. He says, The soul is simplified through progressive detachment of self and of all awareness of personal needs, of all attention to the present situation. God constantly draws it within and separates it from all exterior objects. He gradually removes all consideration of itself and of what is happening to itself to the point where it no longer knows how it is, no longer thinks about itself, is no longer preoccupied by it, and carefully rejects all thoughts that would concern itself in order that God may become its sole preoccupation. This again harkens back, and I don't have the words in front of me, but from Elizabeth of the Trinity. Don't think of self. Don't reflect on self. Don't be concerned with self. She says it again and again and again. There's a silence that must be achieved in order to get to that um, degree of our spiritual journey where self is no longer the center. Um, and, And again, as I say, it, it, is experienced in silence and in a diminishment of our worries about ourself. Not something we can, uh, you know, very easily articulate, but nonetheless, objectively, we understand we must silence this desire for self. And the final degree is the silence with God, which is a mystical silence. Um, it's to be silent with God is to be immersed in the beauty and the love and the mercy of his being. It's giving our approval to his works when we say, Thy will be done, um, offering ourselves to him, through him, with him, and in him. It's when we have been detached from all the senses, the images, the memories, the activities of intelligence, movements of the will, and brief every, everything that we've discussed in the previous 11 steps. They all build on each other, yeah. <laughs> right. But everything that's attached to the ego, our being is simplified and can now nourish itself through the contemplation of God, which is a great, great gift. So then this whole world of God's will enwraps itself and the key of accessibility being the capacity to listen to God's word speaking to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, Francis, the good news is we have another program at our disposal because we've gotten only through about half of the, um, you know, sort of the notes and the reflections that we had drawn together to to respond to this conversation. So we'll we'll pick up on the conversation of silence again next week. I look forward to it, actually, because then we're going to get into the poetic expression that we right. talked about at the and beginning. The, and the, well, the words that Miriam, St. 
Mary of Jesus Crucified was giving. So we have a lot more to so speak. So we've hooked our <laughs> listeners, haven't we? we in, in traditional, uh, you know, sort of parlance, we've hooked our listeners for the next program. At least we hope we have. All right. So this and, was part one. Stay tuned next week for part two. All right. Well, let me uh, just say quickly before we close in prayer, uh, we are still planning a pilgrimage to Quebec, uh, the province of Quebec. Uh, we're leaving late in September and the, through the first uh, few days of October. Um, it's a wonderful pilgrimage. We'll be visiting the Oratory in Montreal. We'll be visiting uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in Montreal. We'll be continuing on to Quebec City, where we'll visit a shrine to St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, another Notre Dame uh, a church, and then uh, St. Anne de Beaupre, in addition to some wonderful restaurants and other gorgeous uh, historical venues that we'll be able to take advantage of during that time. So if you're interested and are uh, looking to join us, please uh, get onto our website, carmeliteconversations.com, and you can find a spot there to register. It's in the upper middle portion of the uh, of the webpage. And Mark will be giving some uh, conferences as well. So that'll be a wonderful treat uh, in addition to all of those wonderful sights and experiences. So we have a closing prayer, and I've chosen this from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, her famous prayer to the Holy Trinity, and it's just the first couple lines here. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh my God, Trinity whom I adore, help me to forget myself entirely, that I may be established in you as still and as peaceful as if my soul were already in eternity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria Christian Voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.